Well, hello. It has been, what, two years? Um, so this is a set of three episodes that you're about to hear that I recorded with um, two friends, which you'll meet, uh, back in February of this year. And I kind of sat on them for a minute and I decided what I wanted to do with them. And I decided to release them as a anniversary project. Um, I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of sort of the discussion material that we had because we did a bit more in depth um, of the subjects that I kind of felt bad for not touching on as deeply in the original run. So that's kind of what this was about. I just wanted to keep talking about it two years down the road because obviously people's opinions and feelings on things have changed and that's what this is. And I hope um, if nothing else, you will appreciate different thoughts on subjects if you don't necessarily agree with us because Lord knows we don't necessarily completely agree with each other. But it's good. It's good food for thought. And it's good to, you know, discuss things. So without further ado, I will let you get into these episodes. Um, It's me again. One more thing before we officially get started, because um, something was brought to my attention in the form of a complaint by one of my guests mm-hmm. that she did not get to answer the fun little questions at the beginning of the episode like everyone else did in the previous series. Now we're to die. <laughs> and um, I'm enraged. I'm enraged. So uh, Tess, <clears throat> meeting Tess, wh- who who's your favorite character in Band of Brothers? Well, uh, honestly, I thought you'd never ask. My favorite character is the Joe Liebgott. He is the first and the best. He is the bread to my butter. He is my sin. He is my soul. Um, I find him very irksome and very messy. And uh, I appreciate these qualities very much in a minefield of uh, similarly disastrous men making their way in the world. Are we done? I love him. <laughs> I love him. Would you say that he's your man? He is my man. He is my essence. Are you anyway? Okay. Um and <laughs> I could I could gush. <laughs> I love him. And your favorite episode. Yes, I know you're prepared. Well, let me go to my cards. Oh, your preparations. I did. I wanted to be very uh as articulate as I can be which isn't very but my favorite episode is the last patrol aka the patrol aka the Vanderpump rules of band of brothers because it has a lot of drama going on and many machinations and people being kind of bitchy to each other because they're very stressed and I think that this episode among all the others is really the standout to me because as it's been discussed at length on other podcasts, this episode kind of uses its powers of invention and storytelling more than some of the others, which they are effectively 
filmed reenactments of uh, testimonies and what's been relayed back to Ambrose and the filmmakers, which is fine. But I think in that way, it creates a really story that it you, basically uh, becomes like a bottle episode. Can you, can you back, <laughs> episode, can you back that up a little bit? Cause you cut out, you cut out a touch. I cut out, man, I just think it's an interesting, it's interesting because it's an episode where the characters begin to act as mirrors of each other, not only towards the other characters who have sort of been intensely beaten down, but also towards the world that in the context of the show, we don't really get to see and the world that exists divorced from a war and it seems already ready to move on, kind of like the men are ready to move on. And I think because it takes these certain liberties with, you know, people in the episode are on the patrol that weren't historically on the patrol. Some of the things happen in the episode out of order. Characters get moved around and different stuff, but it's because of all of those things, it's an episode that I think explicitly creates a message it wants us to think about which is for the first time asking us to consider place and where our place is and where these guys' places are in the war that is kind of shrinking around them. And it's asking us to consider where their place is going to be when there is no longer really a war to be fought. And the, of course that gets discussed more in episodes nine and 10, but I think the way that it gets introduced in the patrol is really engrossing because it also asks us to step outside of a circle of trust that we'd built up with these other guys. Um, you know, I mean, we really care about them and we love them and we want them to be happy. And it's asking us to imagine ourselves outside of that energy and, you know, bribing in a character like Webb who the guys kind of dislike for really no reason. And it's challenging us to be on the outside of a circle that heretofore we've been inside of. And it's in that way, a kind of reminder that in pretty short order, a lot of these guys are going to be outside of their places and they're gonna have to go back into circles that they're not that familiar with. I think it's a, a difficult episode. Obviously people find it difficult for a lot of reasons, but I love it a lot in spite of its flaws. That's great. It's really great. I think it's the best. I think it's the episode for geniuses. Okay, well, um, I do find it interesting the thing that you said um, that you sort of, you equate that one with taking the most sort of creative liberty when you even have writers and the filmmakers themselves and the people involved saying that nine takes the most creative liberty. But I think that's interesting that that's your sort of view on it. I think it's different because nine feels very grounded in a sense to me because there are actual facts that we can lean back on. And even though, you know, characters are sort of supplemented and rearranged for each other in episode nine, everything that happens in nine is at least recorded to have happened in a certain way. Whereas with eight, it's like, there's, there, I don't even remember the Hagenau portion of the book. 
the guys at the beginning of the episode don't talk about Hagenau at all. It's like, why is this episode even set here? Why did we have it at all? It seems like no one remembers it, aside from it being the last patrol. I mean, I think because a good majority of it does come from David Kenyon Webster's book. Um, Maybe. But a lot of it comes from there, and that's where they sort of draw from. And that is that is literally why it became Webb's episode, is because they're drawing from that book. And it's why I think it, obviously, that's why it's challenging for some people. But the way that a situation was sort of engineered to have Webb be a primary character, when I mean, he didn't need to be. Like, you can use his book as an enormous resource the way that you can use the guy's filmed testimonials as an enormous resource. But that doesn't mean that they become main characters. So I find it interesting that they chose that place in between enormous energies. We have Bastone, and then we have immediately in the next episode, we have Landsberg. And there's a sort of, there's a liminal space that, uh, it's just a very strange energy. It's, it sort of shows the nature of being infantry, I guess. Mm -hmm. You're just moving around with your orders. You're not necessarily, I mean, you have to patrol, but other than that, no one's necessarily doing anything insanely heroic. No one's doing anything heroic. I am consistently impressed with how Webb manipulates different people in that episode, especially Lieutenant Jones, because again, that's a thing that didn't happen. And they're only putting it in there to make some sort of a statement about Webb as a character, which again, they didn't need to. All of it's kind of like, I would love to know what the original impulse is. Because nothing that he does makes the other guys really look good. This is the first episode where I'm like, these guys are dicks. Like, why are they acting like this? Well, so that's that. You got your little moment, and now on with the rest of the episode. Um, long time no talk. Welcome to Fans of Brothers. I'm going to call this season 1.5, because it's not really a full set of episodes. It's kind of just like a, like a mini-series. And what we're doing now is something that I've, I've thought really long and hard about, and it's, there are some themes present in this show that aren't necessarily things that are touched on often when people think of Band of Brothers. And I really just want to delve into them and have a good discussion with a couple of who I consider to be great minds of the fandom. So... Joining us, we have um, someone who is no stranger to it. We have Rachel. Hi. And then uh, a newcomer, we have Tess. Hello. So 
these two lovely people I have been in talks with to pick like three topics and we're just going to really get into them. And the first topic that we're talking about today is the role that women and sort of gender overall play in this show, because even though it may not seem like it, there is quite a bit of, I think maybe not necessarily commentary, but um, nods to nods to different aspects of it that aren't really touched on by a lot of people. Maybe they're not picked up by other people. And I'm not saying that we're the authority on it. But when I was sort of thinking about this show in the past like year since recording the original podcast, this was one of the things that sort of uh, posted me about it um, was women don't play a huge role and I'm not saying they have to play a huge role, but the role that they play is, I guess, not a favorable one, but it's done in a way that is so, I guess, insidious and it's very sly. Um, they're almost no non-entities, like they're, they're set pieces. Women become set pieces in this show. And that's something that has sort of, sort of bothered me about it. And I, I really want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you use the word sly because I find the treatment of women in this show so ham-fisted most of the time. It's like when we do actually see women, like with the exception of a character like Renee, their narrative utility is so obsolete that it doesn't even really matter how they're being written or what they're saying. It's like, it's why we get, you know, moments that are a little bit more cartoonish. They're, they're props, they're set pieces. Mm -hmm. They exist solely um, as they're written to be um, basically objects for the men to act at, not necessarily uh, put their influence onto. Mm, and a majority of the time they're there to just, you know, lust over or be jealous of other men for interacting with them. You know, there's only one named female character in this whole 10 episodes and even then, you know, she's not in it for very long at all. And she's killed off as well. She's killed off. And the way that she is, I would say, interpreted in the legacy of the show is a little bit disingenuous to the actual role that I feel she plays in the show. Yeah. She's very much, um, I guess... I guess you could call her like a virtuous martyr in a way, in in the sense that she is um, she's representing all this like comfort and good stuff, good things, and um, she's really there for Roe to be um, sort of pulled away from the war for like any given amount of time and sort of have that salvation, and then mm. she killed in a way that reinforces that you can't have good things you can't have 
virtue and you can't have any modicum of happiness. You have to be in this space where everything is terrible all the time. Yeah, which is its own thing that it implies that as a character, she was put into the show for him to have, to have present there. And that's where she begins and ends. Like she was his good thing. She was his, she was his queen. And really when you look at the relationship that they have in the context of the show, they're on a lot more equal footing in that sense. And there is a back and forth in the relationship that I see, but it gets a little lopsided in the interpretation. I think, you know, she's there as someone for Ro to relate to. You know, you see him not really interact with any of the men in his company. He won't call them by their nicknames. Even the other medics, he doesn't seem to really get on with or relate to them. And so she is that person that he meets who almost has the same sort of thoughts and feelings about it as as he does. And and she's there just doing her duty and volu- volunteering the way that he was. And so she's there to like be a, a comfort to him, um, you know, to and also to serve as that, you know, it's okay to make connections and make, you know, friends in this. Because the reason why you think he doesn't want to get close to anybody is because, you know, he's the one who's going to have to try and save them. And they'll inevitably, you know, die in his arms, mm. his narrative of thought which is why he never talks to anybody or separates himself from them Mm -hmm. and then she serves the purpose of like yes you know you can get close to people you can have a meaningful you know relationship with someone and they are going to die or they might die that's a possibility because she does in the end and but I think she serves as not just like someone for him to talk to or be there but also to say you know it's all right to go back and and make friends and Mm -hmm. it's better to have those relationships and those comforts and camaraderie than to not because you're going to be left alone otherwise so you know the death is inevitable in some ways but the friendship that you make is is a a necessity for like surviving Mm -hmm. and what I appreciate especially about that dynamic that you just mentioned is that a lot of it is going implied like there is no scene where she goes up to him like you know you just got to open up more man it's worthwhile yeah. just listen to me and this lovely woman and I'm coming to you to speak the truth it's like it happens all on his ends and I think it's one of the best things about that specific episode is it's very internal and we see the slow turning in his head taking place and I've always really appreciated that the way they told that story yeah it's interesting as well and I think you know like it it this episode is really interesting for many reasons because obviously it shows like the medic's point of view which you know is seldom seen in these films but uh, it's really interesting for showing like America has especially uh easy company they've only been in you know Europe since 1944 and and someone like Renee she's been there most likely for the whole five years since 1939 maybe later you know but she's been there a lot longer she's had a lot longer to um come to terms with it to you know get used to the sort of things that are happening and so it's interesting it's good for him to be able to see you know this is just how you get on with it and you have to and otherwise it will destroy you Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to have that dynamic in it as well. Like it's not, ne- nothing is said explicitly about that between them, but they do talk about, you know, just themselves and their, you know, just just to have someone there as a comfort. 
mm-hmm. who's doing who knows what they're doing is going through what you're going through but is de- no, but has learned how to deal with it and i i think going back to what um sort of what tess said before that about how that is everything that you're saying is an implied thing in rose head he sort of he sort of comes to this realization and uses her um her kindness her her comfort as a way to sort of rationalize all these thoughts that he's had in his head about um well maybe I don't want to do this maybe I don't want to get close to people but then realizing that he can and it is her doing yes it's actually sorry no I know I was I was just gonna like reiterate that basically Oh, it's actually really interesting that they used a a female character to do that rather than a man, because, you know, mm-hmm. when he goes to those, that medic base or whatever, there are male, there are doctors there and uh, there are male, you know, people helping. And it's interesting that they actually decided to use a woman for that because, uh, you know, a stereotypical female, you know. Um, oh, my God. Person traits, feminine traits. I couldn't remember the word. Are like you know, kind, caring, um, motherly, you know, matronly sort of thing, and 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 in touch with like you know emotions. And so, like to have a woman do it is probably the best way for it to come across. Obviously, he's been around all these men, and he's been around all these you know male medics, and none of them seem to really be able to get anything across to him, even subliminally in his interpretations. So to have a woman do it be like that he she is the only person who can not without even trying get through to him it's actually really interesting I didn't even never really thought about that before because like a man would probably just be like get on with it be brash mm-hmm. and she's just like yeah you get on with it but it, it, it is demoralizing it is miserable mm-hmm. the intention mm-hmm. almost seems maternal like, yeah like maternal. as very like maternal like sort of mm. nurturing him not even like explicitly like like you said like not going up to him being like you can get through this you're gonna be okay but it's very much innate to her nature to yeah. be very um comforting basically she's yeah. there for comfort and it's it's like you know we see women in the show and we predominantly see them doing things that are traditionally gendered services you know, Renee is a healer. We see women and they're washing. We see women and they're gathering. We see women and they're, you know, kissing men. And that's what we see of women. Everything that we see falls into a very specific category. And I don't think that it's just because that's just what the time period was. I yeah, as we, as we know, like, you know, women were involved in the war mm-hmm. effort. There were women in the RAF, in the army, in the military, you know, doing their bit, helping at these bases. And yet you don't see them unless they're there to fulfill stereotypically feminine roles as the mm-hmm. carer, as the washer, as the prostitute. You know, they, they're there to fill a certain man's needs that he's, there, you know, traditionally, stereotypically could not do himself like the the role of the healer is a maternal role and and the image of the nurse is just like you know a figurehead for both for women in both world wars Mm -hmm. she was the pinnacle of femininity as this nurse because they act as mothers and and obviously lots of men go on to marry their nurses as well in these wars because they're being cared for and these women take on the emotional burdens that these boys can't because they 
then that's not masculine essentially mm-hmm. and so you see these women fulfill roles that women, men themselves can't do they can't you know be their own mothers they can't heal themselves you know without the woman you could say you know doc Rowe does that but that's because you know he has to he's part of the company that's his role yeah he got picked for it whereas these women are volunteering to go in as nurses and you've got you know the, the women doing the washing and women you know filling your sexual needs so you've got your sexual your emotional and you know nurturing and cared for you know they don't have to do it themselves these women in the show are there to fill specific roles rather than be um a historical reference or like an example of what women did in the war they were like mm, mm-hmm. they're not we're not talking about women we're talking about men and these women are just here to help them do these things or whatever and their I stairs their little steps yeah yeah i think that the tragedy of renee is as as great as she is and as interesting as she is they wrote her to be one note they wrote her as a, I mean, completely not saying that, you know, in the one episode she's in, she had to be this amazing dynamic, um, complete arc, completely arced character, but they wrote her with one specific trait in mind and they did it well, but she sort of gets pushed aside in a lot of interpretations because of that because there are no other things that we know about or we know nothing about our life and so she's very easy to be written off otherwise and um even if she is by a lot of people idealized as this like perfect nurturer this perfect caregiver she is still that's all we know about her and it's hard to not hard to sympathize I'm not saying hard to sympathize it's hard to it's hard to relate to that I think I sort of like a little bit disagree because yes she's obviously um as the character she is a nurse she's a healer but she's also shown to be dealing with it you know in the only way that she can like she's not a perfect example of femininity of of a woman or of a nurse even you know she's then if anything it just shows she's human she's also struggling but she's learned to deal with it like we said and like in in that because she's not perfect and being incredible and saving everybody that she touches that is also like obviously I think helpful to Ro he's there seeing that like these are the effects of war and this is what it does to you as a person and that's what you've got to take away from it as well like you can have this but also have be able to make friends and get on with it because otherwise how else can you because he's learned from watching her she's not perfect yeah I, I I see I and I guess and I guess my my over um arc, arching issue is in a show about men obviously the women are like you said there to serve a purpose and they're not meant to be perceived as necessarily the most dimensional in their interactions with men. They're there to serve the singular purpose. So I guess when we view Renee, she is holding up a mirror of um, Rose's own suffering. I guess. Yeah, someone to look for him to relate to. Yeah. And that's, that's her purpose. And I guess when you, 
when you have that, it's sort of hard to see them as anything else, if that makes sense. Um, sort of, they're, like, they, they're, they're there to serve a purpose. And then once you, if you're recognizing that purpose, then you can see them possibly not as a fully fleshed character, especially if she's the only one named. You, you know, you've got the women who wash the clothes, you've got the prostitutes, you've got the ones who are like, you know, being having their hair cut off you've got the german woman at the end who is like you know also serves a purpose there you know none of them are actual characters they're there for an mm. almost a narrative purpose if that you know the, the women in the washing are there to show that all, all life's dead you know they're not there to do anything else the idea of women as mirrors in this show, I think, is a very interesting one. We don't re really, when you're looking at a woman in the show, you're looking at the character that you're interacting with. Yeah, they're, they're there to, hurry, uh, you know, make mm -hmm. a point about what the character is going through. Yeah. What the and again, through. that's what's interesting about Renee is I think that he finally does come to see her as her own. Mm individual but it's immediately before we say goodbye to her within the context of the narrative yeah exactly it, the the um and i and i know she's meant to be like symbolic of both the real renee and all nurses in the war effort um but it's That's the, loaded a yeah, loaded thing to put like, on your character uh, she's almost well she's almost like a figurehead for nurses because you don't see them ever again you don't you mm -hmm. know there's loads of field hospitals all over the place you know and you never once see them but but we know that the characters are getting injured and being sent off because yeah. that, that happens throughout the show but you don't see you know it's obviously not important because it's about the company it's not about what happens outside the company mm -hmm. but um yeah she's yeah. I think she sort of acts as a figurehead for the women she's like yeah yeah there were women there were and women in the war effort <laughs> and here's an is. interesting uh not, not to bring up the Pacific, but it's an interesting moment in the Pacific when you first see nurses and it's a very jarring moment, yeah. like a jump scare. Yeah. So yeah. I imagine if we had seen nurses in Band of Brothers, it might be like, oh, there are women out there. Yeah, I think when you see it in the Pacific, you're like, oh my God, I've completely forgot women existed because all I'm seeing is these dudes. But like, <laughs> it's really important because you're like, yeah, of course there were women on these fucking ships. And of course there were women like be they're being nurses and in the army. That's why I love that. Um, What's her fucking face? Lena. <laughs> I can't remember her character name now. But her and Whoever like, she was, love her. Yeah, she's a gal in the army, of course. And I think, and I think it's like the... um like sort of using women as mirrors and not really giving them like names or personalities outside of their interactions with the men is sort of like the joke of like Tom Hanks for a dollar name a woman but yeah. it that's not wholly um it's not wholly untrue but no but it is interesting to see like the interactions that they do end up having with them the sort of chasm in between the the positivity and negativity mm. um, because you do have like Renee who does have this like sort of martyrous ending. It's, it's, we're, we're meant to see her as like this, um, you know, the angel, the angel of Bastogne. That's what they do call the actual Renee Lemaire. And so you're meant to view her in almost this wholly transcended way, which fair, 
honestly, because I think a lot of those nurses did meet horrible ends for the cause that they were taking part in. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well how we don't actually see her, you know, her body. It's it's just a symbol of her headscarf, you know, the thing that she wore just casually. And, and the fact that he sees that and then that's supposed to be the poignant moment is that, okay, we realise that she's dead. She doesn't even really get her own death scene. He just stumbles upon it. And then mm-hmm. I, I do love the way that he uses it as a bandage because what else you know, what else would she have done? She would have probably used that eventually, you know, they were using mattresses or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. He, I, I like, as the angel of, the, what what did you call it? Angel? Angel of Bastogne or whatever. Angel of Bastogne. See, that's really interesting. And they could have done something with that, shown her, you know, as that, but they, they didn't. And they didn't even, yeah. I suppose, attempt to. Like, she was an S, but she was doing her job like everybody else should have been. and I think and I think that does come with um come with Rose interpretation of her as just being this like coming to be be this compatriot of his who is in the same boat um but being the symbol for an actual person who did do so much for the war Mm, it was almost like like a morning yeah, it was like shoehorning in a, a historical figure, someone who really, you know, like these men, were real and did do things in the war. And they've used her as like a narrative point rather than mm-hmm. looking at her in her own light and her own deeds and what she did. They're like, it, yeah, 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 this nurse. It could have been anyone, but we're going to be like, oh, yeah, it's actually, it's, it's Renee, actually. You know, it doesn't matter. Her name could have been anything unless they mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, she was a good nurse, but we wouldn't know that. Like, how are we to know that she's a real person sort of thing? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily, like, I'm not going to say commodifies her into being this, just one little part of this franchise, but it, or it doesn't necessarily trivialize her either, but it makes it this sort of more accessible figure in history that not many people would know about without it um, but I suppose not many people like you know we didn't get like a, do we get a last name or anything you know as mm-hmm. as a viewer we understand that this company is about the real men because you've got them mm-hmm. being at the beginning what they could have done to you know enforce the idea that Renee was a real person this was what she did and she did die and they could have had them maybe talking about her and or having someone who knew her or worked with her doing an interview as well. Otherwise, she's just a character. Are, are we supposed to assume that every person they come across is a real cat, is a real person? You know, especially yeah. if you're not coming across anybody else who is a real person. You know, when you come across this nurse, you're like, oh my god, a woman. And then also, how am I supposed to know that she's a historical figure? How, how am I supposed to know that? Yeah, that is something it's, that that's yeah. why it's like the fact that they're using her as a narrative. Um, a way to move along the narrative but also having her as a historical figure is just it doesn't really make sense to not have her be a more of a character or have her character explain more because as the viewer that they're, they're aiming to educate right this is a historical like piece of television aiming to educate you about these real men by including a real woman you would assume they would try and educate her, you about her as well and make it known that she's real you know and there's no hint to that at all 
instead of creating yeah. instead of making her into a, a plot device she yeah. is yeah it goes back to the idea of the audience's responsibility to do their own research which is a heavy responsibility to put on your audience you know depending on what they're going into the show to get especially you know, a lot of people they might be watching the show as you know i think the way that Tom Hanks or whoever <laughs> intended the show to be is like the idea of a living document. You're watching it and you're thinking everything that's happening in the show has a one-to-one historical comparison happening within it. But then you have other people that will watch the show and they'll, you know, the, the baseline of a man is talking to a woman and that's exciting to me because that could be, that could have an emotional possibility for me as a viewer. Yeah, you're relying on them as the storytellers to have done the research and to be telling you the important parts rather than letting you figure out what's real and what's not, you know. But it's also uh, sort of, I'm trying not to call it a pitfall, but it's a little bit of a pitfall to introduce the one named female character halfway through the series considering what they have already done with unnamed female characters to that point in the series. Um, Because you have, I think like some of the first instances where we, we see, we see a female um, is in the, I, I think it's the, it's the washerwoman first and foremost, first and foremost. Um, and she is, you know, speaking with malarkey and she's used to, like you said, show that we've lost people. And that's, you know, another narrative framing device of how they shot that shot. But she's just she's not interested in his life. She is. Um, she's just like, OK, here's your here's your laundry. Oh, you guys are heading out again. I'm sorry. Um and then we never we never speak to her again. She's just a flash in the pan. And then in the next episode, like we have a few seconds of them in a pub talking to girls and trying to, you know, get them to get a get a warm bed to sleep in that night or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the 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 big next time we see women yeah. is in episode four. Um with so yeah, so that's the washerwoman's at the end of episode three. They're talking to girls in the bar in episode four, and then they come across what they're doing to the women in the in the Dutch town. Um, which I it's sort of a jarring move from yeah. that whole thing to a singular person's interaction with a woman. Um, so, you know what they're willing to view as acceptable. on the one hand versus what someone's personal feelings are Mm -hmm. that entire scene has a lot of dissonance Mm -hmm. that um that whole scene and that whole sequence is well it's like we see this girl and she's kissing talbert and he 
leaves and we linger on her for a long amount of time. We linger on her long enough that by the time she's being pulled into this crowd of people and like they're ripping her clothes off and they're cutting her hair, that's a disturbing thing to see for someone that we've now had moments with as an audience. And the first time I watched it, I know I felt very uncomfortable watching it and I had an emotional response for her and I felt sympathy for her. But then we see our heroes watching this exact same thing that we're watching and they're, it's like a non-reaction as well. I can't, even today, I can't totally parse out what their reaction to that same scene exactly is. You, you have to you have to extrapolate that they find the violence acceptable. You can say that, but also you can say, you know, this isn't their country. They're there mm. for a second for like a few hours or a day or so, you know, they're not there to, they're there to fight the enemy. They can't just suddenly come in and be like, you know, this, this is what you, this is what you as a town deem acceptable. We haven't gone through what you've gone through. You know, they haven't been there living there. They haven't experienced what these people have. And so, you know, to them, they have to go, well, we just got to leave them to it. Right. Mm. That's what they do. When you see like, you know, all the other towns that they go to, they don't intervene with anything. They're just like, well, we're just here for a bit. This is what you guys do we're not from here and 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 you see americans themselves being brutalist and terrible mm. like americans did go through european towns and and rape and steal and do all sorts of things so yes the violence to them could have been acceptable but also it could have been just like well why should i get involved it's not my it's, it's not my business it's not there it's not what they're there mm. to do they're not there to stop the locals doing what they want to you know does that For make sure. sense they're there to just push out the enemy I'm I'm trying to, and I'm I'm trying very hard, um, like not to, I guess impart my own feelings, but I I guess like watching that scene, you can't be I don't think an adult woman adult woman and not have some first to even secondhand experience with violence like that. So I guess that's like watching the scene as as a woman as a female is very different I guess than watching it as a man I would obviously it's incredibly disturbing to see that it's sad it's horrible and you're you're just thinking this is what happens to women all, all across you know Europe but when you look at it from the the women in that their point of view you know what you know they were doing it for money to you know do what they were doing it for certain reasons and they might have sat with americans you know you've got to think that they were also probably sleeping with whoever came into their village giving them things by because soldiers would come in with stuff you know like that they found from other places and that Mm -hmm. would be you know what do men want sex that's the main thing that they would use as bartering and so if the germans had come in and succeeded any you know there might have been a different lot of women that would have been treated like that because they slept with the allies you know it's just it's for from a point of view of the women it's about survival in war and i think what a lot of like maybe people watching it for the first time don't realize the conditions and quality of life in on the continent in europe where these armies were just 
driving through and destroying you know this is terrible quality of life they've got to do whatever they can to survive but because it's a woman sleeping with you know an enemy or an ally it's a you know it's still seen as something immoral and worth of punishment and you know there could have been people men in that town who'd given soldier enemy soldiers things and done but they're not getting punished because what they're they haven't done anything that can be and that's what i was i guess i guess that's what i was trying to get at is like you don't know the amount of um struggle coercion whatever might have been involved in their sleeping with either side because obviously like they were probably like more willing to sleep with the Americans, the Brits, whoever came through that was um, there to liberate them than they would have been to sleep with Germans, but they more than likely had to sleep with the Germans in order to, in a lot of cases, stay alive. So that's it's not even that. They might have just done it for fun. Like yeah. women do that thing. Like there was a thing in, in Germany, like they were German soldiers were encouraged to go to go into these towns and rape to get to create German Aryan children. Mm-hmm. Like this was the thing. But well, lots, you know, say like handsome soldiers come into your village. Some women yeah. would want to sleep with them, regardless of whether yeah. they were a German. Like some, especially you don't know their political affiliations they might be like yeah i agree with what germany's doing you know or whatever and so they'll be okay with it you know they're just punished after the fact because the allies are the ones who are winning you know that if, if the germans had won and they'd all they've done is slept with germans they'd have been fine but it's because the allies were winning and coming into their villages now that they're like well we've got to show that we don't agree with what these women were doing and we've got to punish them and we've got to humiliate them is what they were doing it wasn't so much as like oh, you're, you know, you're bad for what you do. Like, we want to humiliate you. And you know? humiliation, I think, if you're on the winning side, has a certain sexual component to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously it's difficult to watch. And I think it's it's another part of the show, which is sort of like just justified as, oh, well, they slept with the Germans. But, you know, you like mm-hmm. what a, I need a little bit like more context in there and that's yeah. women again being used as just like oh well yeah this is what happens you're like well okay give me a little bit more like I need you know as a viewer you want to understand really yeah and going. I think they they do try for a little bit of sympathy at least in my reading for it with the, the bit where they're rolling out of town and they see the woman with the baby like I, if that's a sympathetic shots to me but again the way that we see them reacting to it is is interesting and it doesn't always flow with preceding shots where it's it's half condemnation half pity it's it's interesting it's almost awkward like they don't know what to do okay yeah you see this woman on the side of the road with her hair cut off and she's got a baby you're like I don't know what to do for her. I don't know what I can do because um, what, what, what do you do in that situation? Because you're, like I said, you're just there for the day. If yeah. that's like, I feel bad because, you know, you're a woman with a baby and you've clearly been thrown out of whatever society you lived in. But I kind of think that maybe you deserved it. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's another thing is you don't really get into their point of view. You're just like, well, do Mm -hmm. they accept it? Do they think that that's deserved? Or do they think, you know, that's actually not, I'm not happy with that, but I can't, Mm -hmm. I don't think I could, should do anything about it or could do anything about it. 
I understand the non-reaction, but it's moments like that, but that makes me wish that we had a little bit more of a concrete condemnatory or I think yeah. sympathetic like, response serves, to it. Yeah, like, it just oh, makes it confusing. Exactly. Like, oh, serves you right. And then they go and, you know, sleep with someone in yeah. the exact same situation. And you're just like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. you know, and you're trying to corner women in barns. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. exactly. That exactly. that becomes the same thing where like to the perceived victor go the spoils and um they assume that they've won. So Luz is like, I'm gonna get this girl in this barn. And oh, I was watching that scene last night. I could barely even look at the screen. Oh, oh it's, it's so, so cringy, isn't it? Horrid. Where it's like you don't know like what hit you know what his intentions are, but you're not really sure what his capability abilities are so like what is how far is he willing to go to get this girl to sleep with him obviously he backs off after mm, yeah that. but it's it's the fact that like you know well he's not a very aggressive he's not a very aggressive character he's not very big you know no. he's not really that threatening so you're like well this could have easily been one of the others who are way mm. worse than Luz and demeanor and things and they probably could have pushed their way through and it's like it's like how if how far was he willing to go and like you know knowing that she's scared knowing that she feels very um unsafe in that situation thankfully she slaps him and he does take the hint but yeah but we don't really know what again what the preceding shot for that was like why yeah what did he do to get him to (laughs) yeah exactly it's I think he's a little guy. She probably could have knocked him out if she wanted to. I, oh, you could tip him like a cow. But, but it's sort of... Um, it's sort of such, like, a weird thing to see where, like, I don't know, like, how much of what he maybe would have saw um, in the town. And that probably would have left his brain as soon as it happened because that those things tend to not really stick with you I guess if you're just like moving through it passively yeah again it's just like down to individual experience whether that stuff would affect you because again it's things that they've never seen before in their lives you know they're coming to destroyed places, places that are, you know, in poverty because of the war. And then yeah. they're just shooting with snipers and shooting through it, through these towns. And like, you know, um, I can't remember what the episode is, but when they're in, they're trying to move into that town that's just covered with like Germans and they're trying to get the sniper gone. And there are people in sat inside, you know, they just have to live there while these people are just mm-hmm. through their town. And so I guess it just, yeah, it's down to individual thoughts. Like you could, by that point, tune it out and just be like, yeah, yeah, another horror of war. Or you can let it affect you and remember it. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that, like I probably in the grand scheme of of what they were doing, that probably was rather uh, insignificant. Mm. Um, so it, I just find that parallel uh, incredible, like, interesting not incredible interesting but like willing to do sort of like the same thing Mm. but he got a big old rejection he got a rejection but then I think it's interesting that that scene flows immediately into Janovic in bed with the girl Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, yeah, but see, it's it's normal. That's just what the boys were up to when they were rolling well, through. You know, early HBO setting up their president for it's not a series if you don't have titties. Oh my god. Mm. See, it would be one thing, but then we also have to look at Tom Hardy's like little salamander body. It's so disgusting. You know. No, I don't know. The trade-off. The trade-off is what I'm Ugh. saying. That's not fair to you? That's not a fair equitable trade? It's just, you know, I've seen a lot of things in watching this show, and his body didn't have to be one of them. Ooh, fair enough. Um, but this does... This does, this whole um, singular uh, dimension that the female characters have in this show, I feel like, and this is just my personal feelings, I can be told if I'm off base, has led to some overcompensation among fans when it comes to their own works. Um, I feel like they have the, and I, again, I don't, I'm trying very hard not to step on any toes, but I feel like there's sort of this, uh, compulsion to make your female characters as strong as they can be, because that's not a presence that is a part of this show. Clarissa Doreen Purell, the first female paratrooper. Uh, is that who is is she real no oh is she real <laughs> i just didn't know if you were like actually like citing something and i was no what? that's that's my name for the first female paratrooper Clar- clarissa doreen but like it's true that like they 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 do this overcompensation to make the 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 first female paratrooper trope i think is very common and there are so many, um, so many versions of her out there. And um, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think that that is something that if you're into it, let it, let it, let her be as strong as possible. But I think she's always put in with, and again, this is like a, like a, like a fan thing, but she's always put in and she's always sort of tamed by the power of the love of one of these men and it's like that's like her whole point is to exist as uh exist as a romantic uh, placeholder for them and I'm not saying I disagree with it but I'm just saying Mm -hmm. it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that um and it's an interesting phenomenon that happens with it I mean, it's playing with the polarities of gender that gets set up in the show where, you know, your men are, you know, traditionally masculine characters. And then when we see women again, they are very gendered in the way that they perform for these men. So obviously to set yourself apart in the universe that you're building off of the show, you would have your female character behave masculinely which has an internal logic to it, but it also creates a sort of, 
a condemnation of femininity. It's I'm not like other girls complex, you know, I am going to be in this story, but I'm not going to be a nurse and I'm not going to be, you know, someone just in the villages that they visit. I'm going to be in the company. I am a woman. I am equal to them. And I, um, you know, I start off with perhaps masculine tendencies because I'm in this position, Mm-hmm. And I will be impressive because I have those masculine yeah. tendencies. How, yeah, exactly. How do I set myself apart? How do I make my character interesting, eye-catching to these men? You know, uh, which I think is interesting and and fair enough. Like, mm-hmm. There were women in the army. Yeah, it's <laughs> they it's, were there. It's it's girl bossing, not too close to the sun, but it's girl bossing just close enough to as soon as you have their attention you can go right back to how you're supposed to be yeah i mean let's be real the ultimate goal of these fics or you know are are to end up and be romantically involved with one of the characters so how they get there is almost doesn't matter because what we know going into it what the end goal is Mm -hmm. and but it's it's also like and it's interesting the the sort of gymnastics that are performed to get women into at the time they weren't necessarily in combative roles I know there were female fighter pilots but like in terms of like ground combat that still was not a thing Mm. and so it's the quote that you that you put that was like a woman being in the foxhole would trample the male ego yeah and it's how you're able to write that to where she isn't a threat to the man's ego while yeah. still being girl boss. She's, she's powerful and she's, you know, sometimes but not all the time sexual and she's very smart, but she's not a threat to him. No. He not only because she's a woman, but because at the end of the day, she will defer to him. And again, I just, I am fascinated by this by this compensation that's done because there is such a blank slate for women in this universe. Mm-hmm. And the blank slate is large enough, obviously, when you're talking about creating something from a pre-existing universe that also has historical precedent. But I find it curious that in most of these works, it's like she is the first female, the first and only female parent. Mm-hmm. she's it's like so she has- special but there's no other women that we really see there's unless they have interactions with Renee because and I think this does sort of tie into some other like dynamics among women you if adding another woman would be competition that's a threat to you yes um but I just find it wholly fascinating the the worlds that they create because they do sort mm. of conglomerate all the like one singular traits into a sink into like one person so like she's a caregiver she is she's strong she's smart like you said and they take all these like single characters and put them into one and to be well I can do it better than they did yes and it's just it's just something that I've noticed and it's it's very fascinating and it's very present I think among young women in this Mm. fandom which I I appreciate sort of the the sentiment of it of course 
it's like I'm glad that you are creating space for um, a, like powerful, strong women, and you're you're in, you're putting your input on that. But it's it doesn't feel misplaced. It just feels um, not comfortable. It's not terribly comfortable. I think it's interesting what you said just a minute ago about how you can't really have a second female character in these stories because she would be a threat to your main female character. And I think it's interesting because the the men are never a threat to your female character as at least from a writer's perspective. I, I would assume that it's because you feel you understand them they're your friends, they're your faves, they would never really be perceived as a threat to your character because you care about them. When in reality, that I don't think that historically that is necessarily the case. Well, I mean, like the goal of these stories are to basically have a character that they identify with and to write them into a show that they enjoyed watching and wanted to be a part of and interact with characters that they like and want to, you know... it's like disney world yeah be like in have like a romantic relationship with them so other women are competition because they draw that someone else for them to go and be interested in romantically other men Mm -hmm. aren't competition because you want them to be interested in you and that's how they write it and so it's less of a um oh well i don't see you know men as a threat it's more of a well i want them i want my pick of the lot and i don't want anyone to Mm -hmm. distract them or provide any competition because at the end of the day, the aim of these stories are for these girls who, or, or boys, whoever's writing them, mm. be like, this, for me, this is what I want. And a lot of other people identify that. And by having this character almost so, have the, char- have the characteristics and traits of, a, of what a lot of like younger girls who are, I don't want to be like other girls have that mentality. This mm. characters embody that. And it's very easy to be like, yeah, yeah, I could kind of see myself as this character. And, and then they've written it so that everybody's interested in me, which I love. I, you're very right. That's also an issue of genre. Yeah, I would love to. Walk I'm treating it like it's an room. erotic thriller. I would love to walk into a room full of all these men that I'm in love with, and they also all want me. Like that's. Yeah. It has a bit of like. like I love it. it has a bit of the like shifting to Hogwarts quality. Sort of, but like I think again, you're not really writing for an audience. You're writing for an audience of people like you. You're not writing to be. But- this is probably a best. That uh, too is true. That it's too is just very like true. something to occupy your, you know, your mind is something that you, I want to write this. And if other people like it, then that's great. And when you see people who are writing, you know, uh, like popular ships, like obviously self-inserts aren't the most popular genre of, you know, fan fiction or whatever. It's the ships from the other, you know, from the characters in the show together because mm-hmm. more people are interested in that. Right on. Yeah, I, I just, I find it, I don't, it goes, it, um, and this might just be like where my mind goes, but it goes down a path where you sort of, you sort of become, I mean, you're obviously like the only girl in the world. It's sort of like that sort of thing and all, nobody else compares to you. And it sort of goes down that, not narcissistic path, but, um, it's a self-indulgence it's a self-indulgence yeah you know when you when you daydream you know 
do these people are do they not want to be your friend you know who's going to write a story where everyone hates them of course yeah. they're self-indulgent yeah. you want to put the, your best qualities of what you think people want you think people think of good qualities in you yeah. and so you project them onto this character which you also want to identify with and then of course everybody is interested in them of course yeah. they're the best at this of course they're the best at that of course they have flaws but they're endearing you know it's a it's a character that you want to be. you're not writing for a mass audience i have just always been so fascinated by the yearning community i have always been fascinated by all of them and just the way that they write these women to be how they are mm. it's just always so uh interesting to me it's almost taking the concept of having your original character but just doing exactly what it's doing anyway and just saying yeah this is this could be you this mm. is you you know that's what that's doing it's like yeah i wrote this character you could write you could take any like oc fic and change the character's name to YN, and it would probably read similar to it's, it's, it's a general, it's a general thing, but it's written with enough specifics where you're like, oh, this is me, or yeah. oh, this is whoever. It's it's you or or who you would want to be, the characteristics that you would want to have, mm-hmm. or it doesn't even matter if they are characteristics you want to have because they're the characteristics that the other characters are interested in, and if you're YN, if you're your name then that means they're interested in you. I just find it so interesting that they're all trad femme girl bosses and just the the butting heads of those traits. So what is trad femme? Like, like traditional, femininity. traditional femininity. Traditional femininity, okay. I w- yeah, I would say, but, but you could say that they're trad femmes because the trend is to go against what most girls are like. And mm-hmm. you know, with air quotes, like most girls, blah, 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 at the moment are feminists. You know, they're, you know, that's what people go, oh, I'm, I'm not like other girls because I think women should have rights and all this stuff. And then to go back to, well, what are most girls not? I'm not like other girls. Well, most girls don't want to be traditionally feminine. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to instill in my not like other girls character. It's just, I personally think it's just a trend going right now. And in a few years, yeah. it'll be a different set of characteristics. Yeah. Because we're coming off the back of the YA novels where mm-hmm. girls have Very these qualities. So. are like, well, but, that's been done. But then throwing in like the first female paratrooper, she's in the military, she's girl boss, all this stuff. It's just, I love the throwing together of those and seeing what comes out. Mm. So well, yeah, it's cool. You've got to make a reason for being there. Yeah. And by being the first female paratrooper, you're special. Yeah, you don't want to be, you know, the traditional form of a nurse because then it would be harder to get to the boys in a sense. Yeah, and you have to be put among them. You have to go through the exact same struggles that they went through because then you have that emotional bond already built into you. Yeah, and hey, you may even get a chance to to be the medic in within that, you know, and have those traditional feminine roles like. I do find that interesting, actually, how a not a lot of these, no, not a lot of these novels, and Lily said then, not a lot of these <laughs> fics or works of writing have the women play the, like, medics. Mm-hmm. Probably because it's a traditional feminine role. So I don't want to be a medic because then that's stereotypically female. I need to be the one, the only paratrooper. That's a woman. Yeah. It's they- me and Shifty holding this company together, us sharpshooters. 
if I wasn't here, they would not survive. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready to be defended. Yeah, but I also have a backup morphine in my bag. (laughs) (laughs) Like just in case I will be there to comfort you. But and like the now I have a gun. The very common like you know, all of them want me, but I just want him. Like that is always present. Like, Mm. or it's like your best friends and like your best friends with Luz and he's helping you get uh, closer to leave God or something. It's like, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like those like sort of common YA tropes ending up in this 1940s universe. In the war, capital T, capital W, the war. Who doesn't want a friend who helps you get another boy? Ah, uh, you know. <laughs> Come and get would, it, boys. Would, would I personally want to be involved in World War II? No. Good to uh, know. But, you know, if, yeah, the, I mean, if the thick calls for it, I will step in and BYN, you know. I will do it. If, if um, who is it? If, if Nixon comes a-knocking, who am I to say no? To Richard Nixon? Well, I hope <laughs> He's not, well, the knocking is a wiretap, but we won't talk. Yeah, if Tricky yeah. Dick flips through your letterbox, get him out of there. Um, so on that note, talking about wiretapping, I think we're gonna we're gonna call this We've wiretapped every single one of these listeners. <laughs> yes, we have all your personal information now and um we're podcast gonna- says hypnotism. We are yeah. going to go so we can check our Twitter for your doxed information. <laughs> um I just want to say thank you once again and um to Rachel. Oh, thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> for being very very intelligent and Tess thank you for being very intelligent as well oh my god thank you and and thank you Sarah for also being here yeah (laughs) I'm being intelligent (laughs) I'm I'm just facilitating and we will um talk to you in the next episode on the flip on the flip we ran out of women to talk about yeah we did (laughs) sorry girls sorry girls bye girlies bye bye